0: you're listening to the psychedelic invest podcast where we speak with founders ceos investors advisors experts and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines brought to you by psychedelic invest bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com/podcast. And now, here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld.
1: Welcome everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. My name is Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is Fraser Johnston. He is CEO, co-founder, and director at Entheotech. We're going to talk about the world of psychedelics. We're going to talk about therapeutic models. We're going to talk about managing therapies, developing clinics, managing patients. A big part of this industry is not only just the compounds and how do they work and how do they help people. But actually, how do we deliver them and how how do we provide therapeutic services? How do we make sure that they're effective? How do we make sure they're scalable? You know, these compounds, these medicines have the opportunity to help lots of people, but we need to figure out how to actually help lots of people. So dealing with this is a big challenge and is a big part of what we're trying to grappling with in psychedelics. So, and uh, Frazier and his team is, are, are really working on that and developing some interesting models and approaches to that. So I'm excited for the conversation and excited to see what they're doing. So with all that, Frazier, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me on, Bruce. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we dive into everything that's going on today, we'd love to get some background. How did you get into business? How did you get into psychedelics? What's the backstory here? Awesome. Yeah, happy to share. So, I'm actually originally from Scotland. So, I moved out to Canada
2: around 12, 13 years ago once I graduated the University of Edinburgh. So I actually came out here and I was one of the head trainers and evaluators for CASI, which is the Canadian Association of Snowboard Instructors. Uh, So I actually did that for a number of years. Um, And I actually started my own online snowboard school around seven years ago. So that was called Watch and Ride. Uh, So it was one of the first kind of online tuitions for snowboarding. So it managed to successfully scale that up over 17,000 students. And it's still running to this day. Um, So when I started the school, I actually went through a, a tech incubator here called Accelerate Okanagan. So they had something called a venture acceleration program. So it was amazing to kind of learn the ins and outs of startup world and I always had downtime in the spring and summer and I actually mm-hmm. started to work for the accelerator after doing the, the online snowboard school for a number of years and um, so it was amazing I got to work with kind of over 200 different businesses and um, kind of everything from management process fundraising sales and marketing operations and um, so it was kind of just an amazing experience to see so many diverse kinds of businesses and through that I actually ended up working as a consultant for a cannabis tissue culture company and um, so that was kind of really my first foray in to regulated industries and I've always been really passionate about alternative medicines alternative health care and really saw what was starting to happen in the psychedelic industry and some of the research around it Um, and I have my own journey with chronic pain so
1: it was just a natural stepping stone for me for sure. No I'm sure I'm curious what you were able to kind of transfer from your experience in developing the snowboarding business into the work you're doing in psychedelics, like what parts just kind of directly translated or you were able to leverage? What pieces did you had to kind of modify and what was just brand new ground that you had to cover in psychedelics? Great question. So it's actually interesting. Like I always
2: look at, for the psychedelic industry, it is building a completely new industry from the ground up, new market, new industry, new customers. And that was actually something very similar with the online snowboarding school that I saw. There was just a lot of stigma around it. Like even when people were like, what do you mean you can learn to snowboard <laughs> online? Like, huh?
1: You were like skiing, you're snowboarding down the mountain with your phone in front of you. Like kind of like
2: you couldn't figure out what to do. Absolutely. So it's kind of funny when you draw parallels like that, because, um, you know, for me, like I've always been into kind of like you know self-imposed learning so like even your golf or tennis online and so it was just a really natural step for me but even seeing the stigma that was around you know psychedelics very similar to learning how to snowboard online and one of the main things I think for for the big stigma around psychedelics I saw or how to kind of transcend the stigma like was in the online snowboarding world I had my own journey with chronic pain you know suffered three shoulder reconstructions before I was 21 I was trying to play pro rugby at a, a rugby school in Scotland And, um, you know, for that, I just had profound healing experiences with the psychedelic experiences I had in my early 20s. And when I actually went to friends and family, you know, when they were having, you know, a depressive period in their life or anxious or, you know they just weren't having a good time i was always met with this kind of weird look and like psychedelics how is that gonna help me right now (laughs) and so for me it was just really looking at oh my goodness like there is such a stigma and misunderstanding um, and around these molecules and tools and that was really the thing for me is okay how do i use this skill set i learned in the world of snowboarding of explaining something simply and easy and
1: putting it in a you know science-backed way and data-driven way to really help transcend that stigma yeah fascinating and how did you Choose you know to focus on this particular problem. I mean, given the world of psychedelics, I mean, there's lots of different kind of opportunities. Like, what drove you to figure out this kind of? therapeutic model and and how to actually deliver these services i think
2: uh, really it stems from my own journey with chronic pain and then my my two business partners in the entheotech so esther simmons fruit was started as a clinical and compounding pharmacist and dr francois Lowe is one of the leading pain physicians in canada so specializes in innovative pain treatments like prp and prolotherapy so i really think it was with my background and their clinical expertise You know, when we first got together in 2019, we were really looking at the industry and everyone was looking at things like obesity or alcoholism or OCD or PTSD as treatment indications for psychedelics. And no one was really looking at the chronic pain space. And I think just with the evidence we've seen in our own clinic and what's starting to come out now, um, chronic pain is kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the psychedelic space because... Everyone, most people have some sort of pain or injury in their life and chronic pain and mental health issues are so bidirectional and they're comorbid So usually if someone is suffering from chronic pain, they end up with a more sedentary lifestyle. They can't do the activities they want to do. So again, that results in depression and anxiety. And So really, I just think it stems from the clinical expertise we have in the team and the unique insight we have into the the pain space and how we can solve it.
1: Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the solution or or what you're looking to bring to market and kind of the specific problem you're looking to solve. Absolutely. So I think
2: um, really when you look at this, I think it breaks down. You know, everyone always talks about recreational therapeutic use in the psychedelic space Mm -hmm. and so you know that recreational use you know don't get me wrong it has its time and its place but I really think when you look at the therapeutic use this is where our team really tries to gravitate towards because when you're in a therapeutic setting and we call a, a felt experience of safety or a felt feeling of safety when someone actually has that feeling of safety during these psychedelic experiences that's when they're actually going deep and having these profound transformational experiences And I think when you're in a recreational setting, you know, if someone's doing psychedelics at a festival, that awareness is always going outwards. But what we're really trying to encourage in the clinical space, um, you know, with a blindfold and headphones and encouraging that awareness to go inward, that's when people are really starting to explore their inner world and having these kind of mystical experiences is the term that they use. And I Mm -hmm. think for us, it's how do we create A safe space where people do feel comfortable, you know, where there's therapists, doctors, nurses, there's oversight. There's a supportive container put around the experience to really help people have these deeper healing experiences.
1: Yeah. And so how are you like, what are you finding right now in terms of. I guess the work that you're putting out there, what kind of results are you getting? Where are you seeing kind of challenges? Where are you seeing success? Beautiful. So
2: I, I guess maybe what I can do here, Bruce, first of all, is just kind of give you uh, an overview of what one of our treatment sessions is. Yeah. Um, so right now in Canada, we're a fully private paying model. So unfortunately, psychedelics aren't covered by insurance or benefit providers yet, or even yeah. things like MSP, so these public billing codes. So we're actually charging 13.99 Canadian for a treatment. So within that, the patient gets a 19 minute, a uh, pre-dose counseling session. They have their intramuscular ketamine dose in clinic. So we actually use and specialize in intramuscular ketamine. Lots of yeah. other clinics in Canada just use intranasal or sublingual, but there's much lower bioavailability with that dosing, route. Right? Um, yeah. And so we all see it's not quite as a bigger, as a profound experience. So with that IM injection, the patient is really going deep. And, um, you know, it would be similar to the states of, you know, ayahuasca, boga, kind of yeah. those peak mushroom trip experiences. And then the patient afterwards, within 40 hours, has a 60-minute post-dose counseling session. And over the last couple of months, we just launched it at the beginning of this month, we developed what we're calling Odyssey Online. Uh, So our psychedelic program is called Odyssey. So Odyssey Online allows patients to access therapeutic resources from our team of medical experts and also other healing modalities like breathwork, meditation, yoga, somatic techniques. So with that, what we're really trying to do with the patient is once they've had this opening experience... We're trying to essentially give them other tools and techniques that they can use in their sober waking life to really help extend the therapeutic window of that treatment. So we kind of looked at things in the U.S. and we call it what's uh, treating street, as we say. So for instance, some of these clinics, they're doing up to like 50 infusions a day, but they're not offering any therapy or any of these other healing resources with the ketamine treatment. They're simply looking at it just as a a pharmaceutical drug. So with that, you're seeing people come back for infusions much more often. Sometimes they would be getting, you know, maybe six to eight in two weeks. But what we're actually seeing at our clinic is because we're combining it with these other modalities, we're really extending the therapeutic window of that treatment. So, some people are having one profound experience from a dose and not coming back again. Some okay. are maybe really coming back every 30, 60, 90 days. And um, so, it's kind of varying. But really, I think it's the, the multi modality improvement uh, that we're seeing across the board. And one of the things we're really proud of is, you know, we're just starting um, collecting all of this data. So, we, about six months now, we've been using a platform called Thrive Health. So collecting psychometric and biometric data from our patients. So in Canada, we have what's called a PH29 score, which is one of the main measures of depression. So okay. it rolls from zero to 27. So the average for our cohort in May was a score of 25. So, you know, high on the scale. Yeah. And then afterwards, the, the average for our patient cohort was 7 so just very profound changes in these and it was interesting some of the referring doctors that said of these patients you know they're like what like i've been struggling with this patient for 10 years and you're telling me they dropped like 15 points on the scale and uh, so it's pretty amazing
1: to see those sort of results and why like why are why do you get these results like what's the i guess underlying change that you see is happening with these patients to shift these scores so i think um People are tired of talking, Bruce, I think is the main
2: thing. You know, a, a lot of these patients that are are in our clinic right now, you know, if it's treatment resistant depression or generalized anxiety that they've been suffering with for years, they've tried everything else. They've tried talk therapy. You know, they've tried seeing a psychiatrist and they're just in these deep ruts and grooves. And that's, I think, the main thing with a psychedelic experience is it helps really transcend those grooves or loops that people are in. And it's really allowing the conscious mind to move out of the way in one of these kind of deep ketamine experiences. And what we call it is the body's innate inner healing intelligence. And sometimes when your conscious mind is in the way, you know, you're really in that reflective functioning of your brain, thinking about the past, the future all these worries and anxieties but when you can actually move that conscious mind out the way the body's innate inner healing intelligence takes over and it wants to return to homeostasis and i think that's just when people get that experience of getting out of their current loops and patterns that's when they're really having these kind of mystical transformational experiences through psychedelics
1: yeah and how do you feel like you kind of the the model that you've set up is supporting that or like what what are the like wh- why have the model that you have like what are the things that you're doing to help you know either enhance that experience or, or create that experience and then effectively use that experience for change in, in people's lives
2: so maybe if I can uh, I'll look back to the question here Bruce so it was yeah. uh, it was really interesting we were just at psychedelic science in Denver so it's kind of yeah. largest psychedelic conference in history so there was a 3,000 people in 2017 was the last time they held the conference and there was over 12,000 people this year. So when we were down there, it was really interesting, you know, talking to a number of different clinics in the US. And as I mentioned earlier, with this kind of treatment street model where they're simply just giving people infusions and, you know, they're in a taxi half an hour later, we went to a panel that was called um, the State of Ketamine Assisted Therapy. So with that, it was really, really good validation for us, Bruce, like lots of the kind of experts on that panel Um, were talking about best practices and we were already doing them or have talked about kind of lots of the things in that panel. And I really think it does come back to that idea of Kind of intention setting and creating the container and the sense of safety. So when we look at it, I think when you are pairing the psychedelic experience with pre and post therapy and these other healing modalities, that's when people are really being able to go further and deeper in their journey. Because when you set up that feeling of safety in the container and have intentions around it, I think that's what's really having these amazing results in the PHQ 9 scores. Because simply if you're just giving someone an experience is just another drug. But I really think for the way the psychedelic clinic model is going to roll out, it's really creating a new experience of healthcare. And I think psychedelics are a big part of that, of how we start to understand our bodies, our brains, our energetic system. Um, And I think when someone can have a, a guide or a therapist that can help them lead them through that process and help them integrate these experiences and understand what some of these experiences are, like there's a really cool thing called transpersonal therapy, Bruce which looks at non-ordinary states of consciousness. So that's what our Odyssey method is grounded in, is this form of transpersonal therapy. So it's really helping people understand these non-ordinary states and what kind of information and insights they can pull from it, and then how they're integrating that into their sober waking life.
1: Yeah. And what are the keys to be able to do that? I mean, when, when you look at the kind of session you're providing, what actually happens in these conversations? What are you helping? Like, what? How do you guide their... You kind of thinking or interpretation or application of what they're learning. Is there any tricks or or things that you're learning are, are more or less effective? Interesting question, Bruce. Yeah, I love it. So um yeah, so I guess one of the the kind of
2: staples would be, you know, like if there's a staircase, go up it. If there's yeah. a doorway, go through it. <laughs> um so it's these kind of things of um in these kind of non ordinary states of consciousness, not shying away or being scared of anything that's potentially coming up like you're very safe in these experiences and especially when you have the medical support there so just essentially encouraging people to to face whatever is coming up from them because I think that's a lot of the issue with what happens sometimes is, you know, even in myself, my own personal life, when you're kind of running from a problem or not really facing it or looking at it, or you're oh, trying yeah. to sweep it under the rug, these kind of things are brought straight to your attention in the forefront and in these psychedelic journeys. So it's really just encouraging people to sit with these feelings and it's almost like be uncomfortable or
1: be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so you mentioned ketamine as being the compound that you're working with right now. Give me a little, your kind of take on ketamine and and what it does relative to some of these other compounds. What other, other compounds are you looking at? I know some of these are in various stages of kind of legality or, you know, going through kind of approvals and stuff. What is the kind of constellation of medicines that you are, you know, kind of currently working with, what you think you're going to be working with next and what you hope to work with in the future? Awesome. So yeah, the reason we're using intramuscular ketamine right now in Canada is because it is
2: legal for off-label use. Um, so it's the easiest way for us right now to access patients with psychedelic-assisted therapy. So that patient just needs a referral um, from a doctor for a diagnosis like depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, we are actually doing some psilocybin sessions as well, Bruce, but this is under the special access program in Canada. Okay. Um, so it's actually quite interesting, but it's a much more restrictive process. So for the special access program, it's usually end of life distress, severe PTSD or severe uh, treatment resistant depression. So it's a lot on the more kind of severe end of the spectrum. So for a patient like that, it's a one off application to Health Canada every time. And, um, you know, we've had applications approved. We've had some denied. Like it was interesting, even one patient had failed something like 11 um, SSRIs traditional therapy. And mm-hmm. Health Canada was wanting the patient to have electroconvulsion therapy before they were allowed to access psilocybin. But the wait list in the Okanagan is kind of two years for electroconvulsion therapy. So oh, it, yeah, it's kind of just strange. Um, the rules and guidelines they're putting around psilocybin right now And we are doing some applications for MDMA as well. But yeah, really for us, intramuscular ketamine, I think will be the kind of main route for us for the next kind of two years as these other molecules come online. And I think, Bruce, the, the specialty for us is the term I keep gravitating towards is a molecule agnostic clinic. So how I see this happening in the future is, you know, you kind of mentioned like what's the difference with ketamine and psilocybin, et cetera. So how I tend to look at this is there's one mountaintop and there's just many paths up to that mountaintop. So, you know, psilocybin, MDMA, DMT, LSD, they all get you to a similar place, but there's just a different bit of a trajectory of how you get there. So ketamine for us is actually how we've noticed it because um, intramuscularly, the patient is usually in and out of the experience within around an hour, hour and a half. They're usually in our clinic for from two to two and a half hours. So with that, it's a much I'd say easier um, experience for someone who's potentially psychedelically naive. We've had a lot of feedback from patients of like, man, like six hour mushroom trip, like, oh, I don't Mm -hmm. know, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. So I think how potentially this will happen in the future is as these other molecules get regulated and become available in a clinical setting, it'll essentially almost be like a service offering. And when you do your intake, so every patient we have, Bruce, we do a physical and a psychiatric screening. And, you know, in that intake process, I think we'll start to see things like, okay, well, you know, you haven't had any psychedelic experiences before. So we'll maybe start you off on, you know, one or two ketamine doses. And then once you've had kind of, you know, three months to integrate those experiences and we'll get you signed up for your psilocybin experience. And then maybe two months after that, you'll come in with your wife for couples MDMA therapy. So I really think kind of the molecule agnostic way
1: is the way that you'll start to see these clinics of the future roll out. Yeah, and what do the numbers look like? I mean, if, if you look at kind of the conditions, situations that psychedelics can treat or help with, and kind of the population that is in need of help. I mean, what are we looking at in terms of, you know, a number of sessions, you know, a number of people that are going through this therapy? Where where might we be in a couple of years? So r-
2: really interesting, Bruce. So uh, it depends. It's so different for everyone. We've had people that have come in for one dose and been like, holy, I have had this complete change of yes. insight, mindset, and they've had this huge improvement. And then, you know, we have some that come back every 30 days or so. Um, so, I mean, it's crazy, though. There's uh, six in 10 Canadians are like currently experiencing mental health issues in Canada right now. And one in four people in Canada struggle from chronic pain. So it's a massive problem. And I think for us in the clinic business, it really is having the framework set up to be able to accept these people. And it's just um, the big thing I see right now, Bruce, is there's stigma and there's also an education problem around it, too. The vast majority of people that are struggling with these issues just don't even understand that psychedelics can potentially help. So I think a big piece for us in the clinic business is just how do we start to educate people that this is a safe and effective form of therapy and it is, is personalized for everyone. Um, and I think the fact that it's personalized and medically driven as well and um, makes it a really potent tool for some of these people.
1: Yeah. What have been the big challenges? You know, I find early stage companies, it, it's basically a series of, you know, putting out fires. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, yeah. what have you had to kind of, I mean, you've been through this before, but what have you had to kind of deal with, or where have been the big challenges in getting this business up and running?
2: So I think, um, Kind of the three big ones for us, Bruce, is number one, um, you know, regulatory. You know, we are dealing with uh, restricted drugs here. So even just things like working with the BC College of Physicians and Surgeons and making sure we're following all the appropriate guidelines. And, you know, there is just that number two is the stigma around it as well. And so we have stigma from the medical community. We have stigma from patients, from patients' families. But really the cool part for us is once. You know, families or doctors actually start to see the data of what's happening in these treatments. You see the kind of stigma turn around very quickly. So, yeah, we've got regulatory stigma. And then the third one, I think, is just a a private pay model in Canada. So, the really interesting thing, you know, even coming from Britain as well, where we have free healthcare, Canadians expect free healthcare. But, you know, I've heard some places in some provinces, there's up to even a two year wait to see a psychiatrist. So the thing where I start to look at the, the clinic business is how are we starting to almost replicate, you know, the private pay model in the US, like how people are paying for Botox, etc., or plastic surgery, yeah. dental surgery, things like that, because there is a really high standard of care we're giving at the clinic, and it's really just showing people that the value they're getting from that and how it can change their life. We we're charging 13.99 for the treatment, and if someone's having, you know weeks or months of where they don't have this depressive cloud over them. And I think that's definitely worth the money. It could help shift someone's life dramatically. So really for us, it's just about, you know, how are we starting to educate families, doctors, physicians? And really for us, it's starting to focus on the doctor referral networks. We've tried some traditional advertising. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. through Facebook or local newspapers. So some stats for you, Bruce, if you like to get nerdy. So yeah. if someone came into our funnel from, you know, a cold ad that was out in the local newspaper, they would potentially take up to 90 days to come in for a ketamine treatment. And lots of the time, these people were failing either the physical or the psychiatric assessment so they wouldn't actually even enter the ketamine suite. Mm-hmm. If we got um, a referral from a doctor or a local GP or a psychiatrist, that patient was usually in the suite within 30 days and then they hardly ever failed the assessment. So for us, it's really looking and changing that focus to, OK, well, how are we educating the the doctors, the GPs, the psychiatrists locally and in the province uh, to really help, you know, systemically change that from the kind of doctor level? Because if these people are starting to educate their patients and the patients trust the doctor that's giving the referral, they're much more likely to feel comfortable with that treatment, especially when psychedelics are so new, they feel a lot more comfortable coming in and actually believe it will help them as well.
1: yeah what are you finding? I guess what's the attitude? What, what's the assumptions? What are the challenges with working with some of the physicians? I mean, where where are they in kind of understanding this or kind of embracing this this clinical process? What, yeah. what are you finding in the market?
2: So it varies dramatically, uh, Bruce. Like some physicians we've spoken to are like, I've had my own psychedelic experiences. Yes. This is the future of medicine. I am in. Some of them, you know, it's interesting, Bruce, I grew Like, some physicians were saying, like we had like one paragraph in our whole medical schooling that was on psychedelics. So, you know, it was a couple of lines. So for them, they're still just so new to it, and it was really interesting for me, Bruce. I had a big aha moment of just how early this industry still is. I was at a backcountry ski lodge just before Christmas time, uh-huh. and um, there was a dentist there. You know, he was in his early sixties. He owned a number of clinics in Alberta, and he was like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" And I said, "Oh, I run a psychedelic assisted therapy clinic." And he looked at me and he was like what's psychedelic assisted therapy that was the moment it kind of dropped for me bruce where i was like oh like this super educated guy medical world and was just clueless so yeah i think that's the big thing is just um you get data 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 and it's just showing people that hey this isn't some crackpot therapy it's really grounded in science research and data and then i think it's undeniable once we start to build that and it's about collaborating with other companies in the industry too i always have this belief that a rising tide raises all ships and if people are siloed and we aren't sharing this data or coming as a combined unit to these things like insurance benefit providers government parliament it's going to be such a slow shift and change but if we can all unite and present all the data we're gathering each of our individual clinics or even the drug development companies the mindset around psychedelics is going to shift a lot faster
1: yeah I guess. What are there any sort of key questions or key pieces of research that you hope, or you're kind of waiting for, you hope someone's doing, or that would really help advance the industry?
2: So I think it is. It's just um, looking at a number of these indications, Bruce. Like I think that's the the amazing and wild thing about psychedelics. Like whether it's from chronic pain, you know, looking at lifestyle scores, pain scores on the depression, and anxiety with PHQ nine scores or GAD seven things like that. And I think it's just looking at a number of these indications and starting to pool all that data because even when we we're at psychedelic science, some of the research that's coming out in studies it's just absolutely fascinating. Like we even saw a talk on phantom limb pain. Uh, so it's interesting, Bruce. I'd, I'd never heard of this before. But they called yeah. it um, it's mirror box therapy. So yep. what they would do? So yeah, if someone has you know an amputation, they would put a mirror. So essentially, it mirrors their limb that's not amputated. So it looks like they have that limb. And it cures the phantom limb pain. But what they were doing is they were essentially doing a um, clinical trial or a, a research study where they would have one group that was just doing mirror box therapy, and then they would have one group that was doing mirror box therapy with psilocybin. Yeah, And the group that did it with psilocybin had like, you know, a hundred percent drop rate in this phantom limb pain. So it's even seeing like wild studies like that to see, okay, like the the more these studies and evidence starts to come out, it's just undeniable the amount of evidence.
1: Yeah, no, it's fascinating, but they're kind of learning uh, still about what it does to the brain, what it does to the mind and, and where it creates this kind of plasticity that allows you to make change. Curious. I guess, so where do you hope to be in a couple of years? Like what's the future of the business? What impact do you hope to have? Where are you going with things? Beautiful. So yeah, we have our flagship clinic here in Kelowna, BC. So
2: it's kind of where we're doing all of our best practices, all the training for doctors, nurses, therapists, et cetera. So the thing we're most excited about, I think, Bruce, is actually scaling through what we call our service provider model. So when we actually looked at the industry, Bruce, you know, it's extremely difficult to raise capital right now just with the economic climate and especially just um psychedelics have gone through this kind of hype cycle and bust cycle and especially in the public market so it's been a blessing we've been private but you know as a company and as a team we really look to you know how do we keep our burn rate extremely low and how do we be capitally efficient as we start to scale like i just don't think it makes sense especially when you know we're still figuring out this industry and we still there's still a huge education that needs to be made on the physician and patient side so how are we scaling with capital efficiency so We even saw some companies that were spending one to two million per clinic on tenant improvements. And then those clinics were sitting empty. They didn't have the patient load to support it. They were paying doctors an enormous amount of money to sit there and kind of twiddle their thumbs. And um, so, how we really look at the, the advantage for ATU Tech, Bruce, is the fact that we are multidisciplinary. So, within our clinic, yes, psychedelics are the core business, but we also do things like PRP, prolotherapy, lidocaine infusions, and um, Botox for pain. Um, so, it's really looking at this kind of multimodality approach. So, with our doctors, they're, um, you know, public billing. Um, all day with these paid treatments. And then they're also privately billing on the ketamine site. Um, So it helps us share that patient base as well. So what we're actually doing, Bruce, is we're partnering with other pain clinics that are doing the similar pain treatments to us. Uh, You know, those PRPs, prolos, et cetera. We're training the doctors and nurses how to deliver those intramuscular ketamine injections and be facilitators for the ketamine session. But Tech is doing all the admin, the billing, the intake, providing the therapy. We provide the patient-facing admin. Um, so, for instance, our branding, as I mentioned, is called Odyssey. So, you know, it's Odyssey app, that clinic's name, Odyssey app. So, it's a really cool way that we're essentially bolting into these existing clinics. So, we don't have any leasehold exposure. Yeah. Uh, we're tapping into the existing infrastructure and staffing. Um, so, it's a really nice way that we can start to scale um, and just start to educate and train a number of doctors um, to basically set that clinic network up as well.
1: Yeah, Fraser, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the business, what's the best way to get that information? Beautiful. So yeah,
2: just uh, my LinkedIn, uh, just uh, Fraser Johnson on LinkedIn. Fraser at is my email if you want to reach out. Um, nthotech.ca is kind of our parent company site at our clinic's actually called Entheomed. So entheomed.ca is where you can find out all about our clinical services
1: and more about the Odyssey method. Great. I'll make sure all the links and everything are in the show notes and the handles. Fraser, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Beautiful, Bruce. Thanks so much for the time. I loved it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast.